Please turn with me in a Bible to John chapter 21. We continue this morning in our series, uh, children are following Shauna for the first time in a while. So that's exciting. John chapter 21, and we'll continue in our series, Portraits of a Disciple, and really, with the exception of last week, tracing the life of Peter, kind of looking at the question, what does it mean, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and the same things that were true of him in that day are true of us in our day, and some specific things that followers of Jesus look like. It looks like them seeing him, whether it's thinking about uh, the way that Peter saw Jesus work walking on the water, or he saw the way that Jesus worked feeding the 5,000, or he saw um, the way that Jesus worked when he showed up and he and his partners were on the Sea of Galilee fishing, and he said, cast the nets on the other side of the, of the boat, and they're thinking, okay, Jesus, you, you don't think we've tried that already? Like, we've we kind of fished this whole area. We fished both sides. Like, we're, we, we're pros at this. Like, we know fishing. And he said, no, cast on the other side, and they haul in a haul of fish um, that, that were not like any that they had hauled in before, as far as the size and the amount. And for them, that meant dollars. And from that, they go to shore. They leave their stuff, and Jesus says, follow me. And they do, because they saw Jesus. They knew who he was and how he was identified. And he said, yes, I will follow. Peter said, I will follow. And then along the way, we saw uh, confessions that Peter would say, uh, Jesus, you are Lord in Christ. Um, there was a point at which in John chapter 6, Peter saw Jesus feed the 5,000 along with the other disciples uh, and after that, uh, there was a conversation that took place. They went to the other side of the lake. The people followed him, uh, met him there, and they wanted to make Jesus king, essentially. They wanted to make him ruler. And, uh, and in that moment, Jesus says some extreme things, uh, and basically everybody listening were like, mm, yeah, I think that's a little too far for me. And so they all leave, thousands of people. Jesus, as, as far as church growth patterns were concerned, he would have been fired, right? You have 5,000 followers showing up saying, I want to hear you and I want to follow you, and he, he says some difficult things, and you see thousands of people leave and go away. Like, that's the opposite of church growth. Um, and then he turns to his 12, and he says, listen, are you, you guys too? Like, are you guys out also? And Peter steps in for the group at that moment, and he says, Jesus, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone speak what is true. We are in it to win it. We are behind you and we are for you and wherever you go, we're going. Peter proclaimed things like that. And as Jesus said, hey, by the way, uh, now I'm going to the cross. I'm on my way there. I will be turned over to the hands of wicked men and I will be killed. And Peter said, not on my watch. <laughs> no, you're not. And he said, get behind me, Satan. So he, he kind of was in, in both sides uh, of that. Uh, he, said, he was zealous, and in his zeal, he said some things that were brash, that he didn't think through in the moment, and he got rebuked for them. 
um, and called out. And he had to make some correction. And the story that we find ourselves in this morning is one of those stories. And, and before I tell you what that is, I'll, I want to use a picture uh, for you. One of my favorite games growing up, probably late elementary school, maybe into early middle school time, Pickle. Anybody ever played Pickle? Maybe you didn't call it Pickle. We called it Pickle growing up in my neighborhood. Pickle is, you need three people, two bases, okay? And you could use any two bases that you want, but we'll, for this point, we'll use third base and home plate, right? And you have a person on third and a person on home, and you have a runner in the middle. Does anybody play this game by another name, not Pickle? Anybody? Ernie, can you say what it was? Okay. I called it pick, we, we called it pickle because the runner is in a pickle, okay? In, a, in baseball, baseball terms, right? You're in between bases, you have the ball, the only way to get you out is for the person, one of the base runners, to have the ball in their glove and to tag you. You get tagged out. And so as the runner in the middle, you're trying to make it home and not get tagged out. But you can't just go home because then this person will throw the ball here and you'll get tagged out. So you've got to go back and forth and back and forth and, and try to be smart enough and quick enough. Either they make a mistake, drop a ball, and then you run home, or you time it in such a way that you get close enough here that they are tempted to tag you out, and then you take off this way before they can throw it and catch up, and, and you're just going back and forth, right? You get the picture? Even if you're not familiar. So the rules are make it home and don't get tagged out. The theory is be smart and be quick and don't get tagged out. Jesus gives a formula similar as far as following him is concerned. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. The story that we get into is a picture of that instruction playing out in life. In the same way that that scenario that you play with two bases and three people is a picture of a scenario that could, but often doesn't, come up in baseball, in, in real life. The picture we see is found in John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. Now, if you're not familiar with this, Peter, before Jesus was crucified on the cross, they were having a group dinner together. We call it the Last Supper because it was the last time they were gathered together to eat supper together. And Jesus, among the things that were said and done at that supper, in that setting, he said, hey, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. That was Judas, who sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. By the way, Peter, you're also going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter says, in Peter-like fashion, No, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. Like, I will follow you to death, Jesus. Like, I will do anything. I'm not going to deny you. 
Like, I'm in it for the long haul, and I'll give whatever it takes and whatever's required to make it to the end. Like, I'm in this deal, period. And Jesus didn't say it, but, but I would have, probably. I think, well, I don't know. I, I don't want to know what he was, pretend to think what Jesus was thinking. I would have thought, yeah, you, you will. You just don't know it, and, and you're too silly to admit it. Because Jesus said it, it did happen. So Jesus is arrested. Peter kind of follows behind. The disciples are dispersed. Peter kind of follows Jesus with, I want to say it was John. And, uh, and along the way, Jesus is drugged into the courtyard. He's questioned. He's mocked. He's all of these things. And, and some people that were gathered in that crowd looked at Peter and they go, Hey, you were with him, weren't you? You were one of his followers. Ah, you got the wrong one. Ah, not me. And so he, he goes over to another group, and he's warming his hands by the fire. And one of the people standing around uh, said, Hey, you surely, you're from Galilee. You were one of the people that were following. Nope. Uh-uh. Not me. And in these moments, I think, despite having just said, No, Jesus, I'm in it for the long haul. I'll do whatever it takes. When, when push came to shove... And he thought either he was going to face some sort of persecution, some sort of rejection, some sort of backlash for being even a follower of Jesus. Or maybe it would cost him his life. When push came to shove, in the heat of the moment, he said, Jesus who? I don't know who you're talking about. And the third time when he did it, okay, I don't know if you've experienced betrayal on this level. Like somebody that was in your inner circle that you could count on, that if something happened, that you were calling them as an ear that you needed presence, a shoulder to cry on, or whatever it is in your life. And that person in your life, when push came to shove in the heat of the moment, said, "Mm mm-mm. Have you felt that? Like that sting of betrayal. Like, I thought you were with me. Clearly, I thought wrong. And that moment when Peter says for the third time, that's not me. You got the wrong person. You're mistaking me for somebody else. It says that Jesus caught his eye, and he looked at him, and then the rooster crowed. And Peter wept. Because he knew what he had done. And he knew that Jesus knew because he saw him. Then Jesus is killed and crucified. He lays in the grave. He rises from the dead. And then on a couple of occasions, he appears to the disciples after he's risen from the dead and shows himself. They're in a locked room and he walks through the wall, locked door and everything into the room like Casper the Friendly Ghost style. Like, just shows up in the room, and they're going, uh, we had the door locked because we were safe. Now I feel less safe. And then it's Jesus, right? And that happens a couple of times. And then John 21 happens. And some of the disciples, including Peter, found themselves right back in the spot where they had left fishing. 
They already knew Jesus was back from the dead. Okay? They, they trusted that he was who he says he was, and yet, and I, I think, I have to think that part of Peter's finding himself in this place, again, is the lingering guilt, the lingering weight of having turned his back on Jesus in the heat of the moment. And he finds himself, Jesus said, when they left fishing, Peter and Andrew, James and John, when they left fishing the first time, he said, I am going to make you fishers of men. You may be fishing, but you're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. You're fishing for men. And that was his charge, and that was what Jesus had put them and trained them and helped them to do. And now they were going to be doing it without him physically in their presence. And Peter finds himself back fishing. And because Peter's a leader, and especially within this group, there's some guys that followed him in that. So they go out and fish, and in a way that's really reminiscent of the first time Jesus did this. He's on the shore, they've been fishing, Jesus says, hey, by the way, you guys haven't caught anything, have you? You've had a big goose egg today, right? How did Jesus know that? Aside from the fact that Jesus knows everything because he's God in the flesh, he knew that because Jesus also controls everything. Like nature is in the palm of his hand and does his bidding. So how does Jesus know that they haven't caught any fish? There's a good chance it's because Jesus has kept the fish from being caught around them so that he could show up in this moment and go, Hey, why don't you toss your nets on the other side? Jesus, listen, I know we've been following you for a few years, but we're still pros at this. Like, you don't think we know how to catch fish? They're just not out today. Why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? All right. All right. You're Jesus? Fine. And they do, and they haul in a haul that they can't even get into the boat. And rather than sticking around and helping his friends haul in this haul, Peter just jumps in the water in Peter-like fashion and swims because he knows it's Jesus on the shore. And he goes to him, and he goes quickly. And Jesus is cooking breakfast on the shore. It says he started a charcoal fire, and I'm stealing this from somebody else. How does Jesus make breakfast? Breakfast. He just says it. Because he's God. Like he was already cooking fish before they got the fish to the shore. Because <laughs> all he has to do is say it and it's there. So Peter goes to him. They're cooking breakfast on the shore. Everybody else is doing the work and dragging the nets in. And they get there. Verse 15, John chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Okay, you just told me a few days ago, maybe a couple weeks at this point. Jesus, if anybody, everybody else may fall away, everybody else may betray you, but I will not. You've got the wrong one. And now Jesus is saying, Peter, without saying it, remember what you said? 
You still stand by that? Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. If you love me, show it. Don't show me. Not earn my love. Not earn my attention. But if you love me, then let your life bear it out. Evidence it. Do something with it. Show it. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. I'm glad that there's this parentheses in verse 19. He said this to show what kind of death he was to glorify him, because if it didn't say that, it would be... I would have trouble personally figuring out what Jesus is talking about in the previous verse about you went wherever you wanted when you were younger and now somebody else is going to dress you and lead you and stretch out your hand like oh okay I get it now he's talking about how Peter's going to die and by the way history tells us Peter was crucified stretch out your hands and another will lead you where you don't want to go the very thing that Peter sought to avoid by denying Jesus in his faithfulness to follow me in Jesus' instructions, he actually met. The words that he said at that supper table that night, even if all of these walk away and leave, I'm with you to the end. He denied it once. He turned his back on that confession once. But at the end of his life, the testimony of his life was, kill me. If my following Jesus means you're going to execute me, then do it. But don't do it the same way that you executed my Lord, because history also tells us that, Jesus, that Peter, not wanting to be put to death in the same manner as Jesus, wanted to be crucified upside down. Because he wasn't worthy to meet the same end that Jesus met. Now, what do we do with this? This passage shows us, and we're reminded that disciples, followers of Jesus, fail. We will fail, we will sin, but Jesus, in his loving kindness, will lead us to repentance. So, first thing first, we will fail. You and I as followers of Jesus, if you have 
turn from your sin, you see your sin and your inability to do anything about your sin, to make up for your sin, to make it go away, to pay for it or anything. The first thing you have to realize is, I can't do anything about this. And if I remain in control of my life, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep messing things up. And I can, like Pickle, I can run this way, but I'm just going to continue to turn back and run this way and turn back. I'm going to continue to sin. My only hope is that Jesus paid for my sins. He gave his death in my place and that I can trust him and in him I will find new life and the ability to not continue to go back to that sin. I've got to turn from my sin and trust Jesus. That's the very beginning. That's what makes you a follower of Jesus. In that, you answer the call, yes, I will follow. Yes, I surrender. Yes, I am yours. And yet, you will still, after that, you will still fail. How do I know this? One, because we have a lot of data. The church is full of data testifying to that fact. I can't tell you, I just even heard this morning a, a, an anecdote, not about anybody from right now, but years past, even in this church, a bad interaction between a non-believer and a church member, and because of that, that person has not been in church again. Listen, the longer that you stay in, this, in the church the more likely it is that you're going to have a conversation or you're going to have an interaction in which you say, that doesn't feel like interacting with Jesus. I don't think Jesus would say that or do that. So if these people claim to be followers of him, there's a disconnect there. That's just because we're human. And that even though we've been changed by faith in Jesus, we still have sin. Our nature is still bent toward sin and we follow Jesus as possible we trust his holy spirit to enable us to follow him and enable us to put away the things that we don't want but the reality is we're still going to sin now if that bursts your bubble this morning meaning if if you thought at some point I would get to the point where I'm not sinning anymore, or if you're still figuring out maybe do I or do I not want to be a follower of Jesus, and you thought by being a follower of Jesus, you would do everything exactly like him, and everybody else who follows him would do exactly like him. I'm sorry, it's just not true. But I'm also not sorry. Like You need to know that, and we need to know that. And as ho-hum, kind of even maybe bah-humbug of a message that that is, there's another side to that message. We can't lose sight of the fact that we will fail. Peter did it. He professed devotion, and then he messed up, and he professed devotion, and he messed up. It's not a negotiable reality. It is reality. Here's the deal. When you do so, you may even be surprised about it. Peter was caught off guard. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. And then he did it. He did the very thing he said I wasn't going to do. You may have said at some point in your life, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you did. You may have said at some point in your life, I will never be that way. I will never be like 
my mom, or I will never be like my dad, or I'll never be like that person. And then you find yourself in the very boat. Ah, man. And you surprised yourself. And maybe you surprised some others that didn't think that you would be there. And you feel like you've got to live up to that expectation. I can't i got to maintain appearance that I'm not there because these people, they expect me to be exactly where I'm supposed to be and do exactly what I'm supposed to do, and I can't let them know that I'm not that. You know the one person who's not surprised when you fail? You may be surprised. Others may be surprised. Jesus is not surprised when you fail. He's more intimately aware of your failure than you are and your ability to fail than you are. You know why? Because he bled and died for it. And when he bled and died, he knew that that was for a reason. He knew all of my junk and all of your junk and all the junk that's going to happen in our lives that we haven't even lived through yet. It's just reality. He's not surprised in our failure, which is why when we find him in this story and in our own lives, he is not quick to let it go. He's not quick to act like it didn't happen. But he is is always quick to deal with us in loving kindness. He didn't let Peter's thing go. There's a reason that Jesus asked him three different times, do you love me, Peter? Because he denied Jesus three different times. I mean, everything about this interaction points Peter's mind back to what happened without Peter, without without Jesus saying, Peter, don't you know why I'm asking you this? Because you did this. So he's calling him out and he's calling him to correction without calling him out and without calling him to correction. Like, it's the loving kindness that Jesus deals with us on. English teachers, I apologize. I can't talk this morning. This is the loving kindness with which Jesus deals with us. He brings our failures and He brings our sin to our attention in the most loving and kind way that He can. Why? For our own good. He had a purpose for Peter, but he knew, I need to get you out of this funk, I need to get you off of this shore, and I need to get you off of this boat, and I need to get you back into the game that I've made you to be in. Fishing for men. Not on the boat, not casting nets, not seeking little fish with scales that swim in water, but I need you out casting the net with my gospel, proclaiming my truth so that people may respond and may turn to me in faith. That's the work that Peter had cut out for him. That's what Jesus is saying. Are you ready to leave this stuff behind? Stop staying in your sin and follow me. There's work to do. There are things to be done. I've paid for this already. Will you just turn away from it? Follow me. Do you love me? What was the problem? Other than Peter saying, no, I've not been with this guy. I mean, that was a lie. We could see that. But what was the real problem? The real problem was 
Peter loved something more than Jesus. That's why he said, do you love me? In that moment, he loved his acceptance or he loved his safety or he loved his own life when he denied Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you love anything else more than me, you're not worthy to come after me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Walk toward your death. And follow me. Your life is not your own anymore. Do you love me more than these? Do you, do you, do you even love me? Like, or, or are there other things? I think he would ask you the same question. Do you love me? And does your life bear that out? What does, what does the evidence of your life show? Does it show that you're willing to set anything aside, sacrifice anything, and do anything that he puts in front of you for the sake of following him and being obedient to him? Do you love him? It's not an internal, like, warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not like the romantic comedies that we watch in a theater or on Netflix or whatever. Oh, she's so cute. I wonder if she likes me. Oh, I just have to talk to him if I have a conversation. No, it's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not like a spark that happens when two people touch. No, it's, it's a, it, I'm willing to sacrifice anything. I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to give up anything. I'm willing to say anything. I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do because of who you are and what you did for me. My life is yours. Everything laid out bare. You know me. You have me. You have the right to call me anywhere. You have the right to give me any instruction. You have the right to put anybody before me and ask me to say anything to them that you want me to say. It's all about you, and it's not about me. Do you love me? He says. Then show it. We will fail. Disciples of Jesus will fail, but Jesus treats our failures with kindness. And he calls disciples to repent from sin, when we see our failure and we're, our attention is drawn to it by the kindness with which Jesus deals with us in, the ball's in our court at that point. Do we stay there thinking, well, he's forgiven me for it, so what's the big deal? I mean, I can stay here and I can keep doing it because He's forgiven me for it. He's paid the price for my sin. He's given, forgiven me for it, past, present, future. I'm already forgiven. So why should I do anything different? Oh, that's the wrong, that's the wrong response. The right response is, Yes, Jesus, I messed up. I made a mess of this. I didn't intend to. I didn't want to. 
I didn't even think that this was possible for me to get myself in this boat, but I want to follow you. I want to love you more than all of this junk. Okay, and you turn, and you turn back and follow him. That's exactly what he's telling Peter. Hey, leave the boat, leave the fish, tend my sheep. Follow me are the last two words of that verse. Follow me. If your confession is, I love you. If your confession is, I'm your disciple. If your confession is, I'm following you, then do it. Leave the junk. Leave your failure. Own it. Admit to it. And then know that He rescued you from that so you don't have to stay there and turn and follow. And then the next time you find yourself in a position where you failed in a way that you didn't think that you would, acknowledge it, encounter His kindness, know He's forgiven, and turn from it and follow. And listen, repentance is not something that happens once when you trust Christ in faith. It is a continual part of following Jesus. Every time that you realize that I have sin, or maybe even when you don't realize it and you go, Jesus, I probably have something in here that's messed up. I just need you to show me what it is. And then when he does that, you turn from it. And you follow Him, not in your own strength, not in your own willpower, but you say, help me to keep away from that and to stay clear and do this. Help me to stay away and follow You. Help me to put this away. And, and every time, it's a continual thing, every time you realize it and know it, you turn and follow, turn and follow, turn and follow. And I could say it over and over until you're tired of hearing it because but we need to do it. We need that repetition that I'm tired of turning and following, but guess what? I still have sin that I realize, and I need to turn and follow Jesus. We never get away from it, but hopefully there's a point. I'm walking my way to sin. The ball comes over. I'm going to get tagged out, so I turn and follow Jesus, and I get closer, and something distracts me, and I go back. And I'm running this way, and the person over here gets the ball, and they reach out to tag me. Oh, crud. I turn and follow Jesus. And I turn back, and I turn, and it's a picture of I continue to turn away and go my own direction and then realize it, and I turn around and follow Jesus. And hopefully, as your life and event and year stack upon year stack upon year, you get further away from what you used to look like and further away from you, and you get closer and closer to home plate. And it requires that you turn and follow and turn and follow and see your sin and repent. And eventually, at the end of all of it, by the power that lives in you and the Holy Spirit, you take your last breath, you're called home, just to tag home plate. And in that moment, He purifies you of all of the stuff that He's already forgiven you for and all of the sin and struggle that is natural to you in your flesh and in your body. All of that is done away with because you have a glorified body and you are in His presence and you are made perfect and you look like Jesus exactly the way that you were intended to. 
And until that point, we turn from our way and we follow. And we turn and we follow. We repent. Disciples of Jesus repent. Where in your life this morning have you gotten bogged down? Maybe it's been years in the making and you're stuck. Jesus is saying, do you love me more than that? You don't have to stay there. That doesn't have to affect and drive the rest of your life. Will you turn to me? Leave that junk sitting there. I've already paid for it. Just turn to me and follow. Where, what is that for you? What failure are you sitting in? What sin can't you shake? Would you see the Savior who purchased your forgiveness and your cleansing, your freedom from that? Will you turn to him and say, I want to follow? I don't even know really how, but I hear that you're the way that I'm supposed to do that. And I want to do that. Where are you this morning? Let's pray. Father, God, it's never good to be reminded of our proneness to sin, our proneness to wander away from you, and yet you are not surprised by that. Even when it catches us off guard, it doesn't catch you off guard. So Father, I pray for myself, for these that are here in the, the, the mess, the sin that they're sitting in, that you've already brought to their mind. God, would you give them the strength and the ability to own it, not pretend like it doesn't exist, not be worried about what others will think of them, but know that you are loving and kind and you want to call them out of that and may they turn from that to follow you. May we turn from our stuff to follow you. God, may we see freedom from that come in this moment. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.